excited that you're here. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful uh, week. I, I love uh, Thanksgiving week, and so I, I pray God's blessing upon all of you and your families. Uh, we have so much to be thankful for uh, in our lives. We can be thankful today that we're not um, in Gaza, that we weren't born in Gaza, or some other place that is war-torn right now. We, um, The Lord, uh, we're we're praying for those countries, and we're praying for resolution in those situations, and um, just thankful to be where we are. We have a lot to be thankful for. Um, love this week of Thanksgiving, so praying for safe travels for everyone. Um, for, throughout my first year here in Wisconsin, I've spent a great deal of time preaching the gospel, preaching, um, you know, within my time in Adventism, one thing that I've noticed is that um, we have a our, our doctrine is very sound, but we have rearranged some things as far as uh, and traveled down almost a road of legalism in various groups within Adventism. And so I spend a great deal of time talking about faith in the gospel and how we're depending on Jesus to do the work in us, to transform us and mold us into his character. And I've spent a great deal of time on that. This next year, going into this next year, um, our sermons are going to take on more of a prophetic voice. Um, addressing the time that we live in, uh, addressing the various prophecies within the Bible. Uh, we, uh, we in Adventism, we, we love and celebrate and spend a great deal of time preaching prophetic, uh, you know, most of our series that we preach are prophetic series. Uh, we talk about Daniel chapter 2, we talk about Daniel 9, we talk about Daniel eight fourteen until 20, 2300 days, then the sanctuary is going to be cleansed. Um, and Daniel 8.14, that, that 2300-day prophecy was present truth in the 1840s, um, but that was 180 years ago, and Daniel has continued to unfold, and so we're going to spend our next year talking about the things that we do know in prophecy, but I believe that God has given us great insight, um, and there are great minds talking about Daniel 11 and what it means to us. And I believe that we are coming to the end of Daniel 11, moving into Daniel chapter 12, which is when Michael stands up. Um, so we are going to move into more of a prophetic voice in our sermons. And um, I want all of us to uh, have faith and understand what Jesus has given to us in his word. We're going to kick things off today in Matthew chapter 24. Um, probably if you've been in the Adventist church uh, for six months, you know Matthew 24 inside and outside. It's a very popular chapter that we talk a lot about. It gives us signs of the times. Jesus is giving us signs to watch for at the end of time. And uh, we're seeing things in our world today, and I want to start talking about that. But first, I wanted to establish that everyone had a very solid relationship with Jesus that we're depending on him. It's about a daily walk with him and him transforming our life. We can know all the prophecies that exist. Paul says you can know all these things. You can have a, a silver tongue and speak with the, the tongues of angels and of men. And he says you can fathom all prophecies said, but if you don't have God, if you don't have love in your heart, he said it means nothing. And so I really want us to have a relationship with Jesus before we move into more prophetic things. Uh, so let's go ahead and pray and get into our sermon for this morning. Kind Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the life that you have given to each one of us. We're so thankful for your goodness, your mercy toward us. And dear God, as we are moving into our, our message for today, we pray for your spirit to please lead us, to please guide us into all truth. 
Help us to be drawn closer to you. You promised in your word that if we draw near to you, you would draw near to us. So please continue to draw us, dear God. Help us to be more like you. Help us to reflect your character in our lives. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn there. Matthew chapter 24. That's where we're going to begin. You may already be there, but I'm not. Uh, Matthew chapter 24. The disciples have just asked Jesus a question in 1 and 2, and he, they asked, uh, or Jesus rather made a statement in 1 and 2 where he's telling them, you see this temple, this beautiful temple that we love and adore? He says, at some point in time, it's going to be destroyed. Not one stone is going to be left on another. And let's begin his disciples ask him a question in, in verse 3. He says, Now when he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? When is going, the temple going to be destroyed? Is what they're asking. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So in their mind, in their Jewish mind, once this temple is destroyed, that must mean the, the, the end of the world is here. And so that's what they're asking him about. So they're thinking it's a synonymous event. Jesus knows it's not a synonymous event, so he gives a twofold answer. He splits it into two parts. And so that's what we'll continue reading through our text together today. So we're in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 4. And Jesus says, answered, and Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. So he's warning against deception at the end of time. That's why, as Adventists, we have sent a great deal in making sure the doctrine is right, making sure we're following the Bible, making sure we know what comes next. Jesus gives us actually two warnings in this passage, so I'm not so much focused. I'm focusing, I'm splitting into both. We're going to talk about both warnings. Um, The second one, I feel, is for us, is probably maybe the most important. Take heed that no one deceives you. Verse 5, for many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and they will deceive many. You'll hear, verse 6, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these, verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So, Jesus is splitting up his answer. In this part, he's actually talking about the end of time. He's talking about things that they're going to be looking for at the end of time. And he goes on and he answers the first part of the question, what's going to be the destruction of the temple? That's coming later in the passage. Um, He he warns them eventually that Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by armies And this happens in 70 AD, and the temple is destroyed. But in this first part, since he knows they're two separate events, he's talking about the end. And we look at these events, we look at all the things that he gave us to watch out for, false Christ, false prophets. We've seen a rise in those in the last probably 100 years, 150 years, where people are professing to be some sort of prophet of God. 
Um, and for whatever reason, they gather their little band of people together, sometimes a huge band of people like Jim Jones, and for whatever reason, one of their earmarks is they all kill each other. I don't know why they do that, um, but these many false prophets have done that throughout the last 100, 150 years. So he tells them, don't be deceived by people, don't be deceived, and he goes on and he lists off several things like wars and rumors of wars. We've always had war since the fall of mankind. People have always been killing each other since the fall of mankind. Think about Cain and Abel, the first murder. It's been going on for a very long time. Think about uh, the rest of the things that he mentioned off. Um, Nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, tribes, nations, kings have always overtaken each other. They've always conquered one another. So how in the world does it mean anything for us today? It's always been happening. Uh, We can go back, think of Napoleon's conquest, think of Charlemagne, think of Adolf Hitler, Think of all these people throughout Christendom. Think of the Roman Empire conquering other nations. Think about the Grecian, the Greek Empire. They're always conquering other nations, and they became world powers as a result. So how does it mean anything for us today? What does it matter? This has always been going on since the fall of mankind. He gives us and he tells us the answer. We've always had famines. Verse, sorry, verse 7. We've always had pestilences. We've always had earthquakes. But he gives us the answer in verse 8. He says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Some translate it correctly. The idea that Jesus is trying to convey is that these are the beginning of birth pains. So if you read in your Bible and it says birth pains, the travail of a woman, that is the key for us to understand the signs that Jesus is giving to us. Because When a woman is getting ready to deliver a child, the intensity and the frequency of the contractions that she experiences gets more frequent and more intense. Many of you in this room have experienced this. My wife, when she was was pregnant with Jada, she would have something throughout the pregnancy at random times, something called Braxton Hicks, where this Random contraction would happen, but it didn't really mean anything. Labor was not beginning, but she would experience a contraction here, there, randomly. No, you know, it, it wasn't, uh, it didn't mean anything. It did not mean she was going into labor. But when the time came for labor, when the time came, the water breaks, and all of the sudden, the contractions become extremely frequent every two minutes or however far apart they are, and they're very intense, okay? And so uh, the pain level goes much higher than they were in those little smaller contractions throughout the time. So Jesus is using that perfect analogy to illustrate that at the end of time, wars, rumors of wars, Famines, pestilences are going to become more frequent and more intense at the end of time. So we can look at human history and we can look at, let's say, wars. Um, let's, let's just use Napoleon. He's conquesting. He's taking over uh, as a French general. He's taking over the, you know, the continent of Europe. 
But the wars that he was waging and going back to the Roman Empire and beyond, they're using swords and spears and shields and they're hand-to-hand fighting combat, right? Throwing rocks with catapults, okay? The 20th century, in the 20th century, we now refer to the 20th century as the bloodiest century in human history, okay? The amount of lives lost in World War I, World War II, all the wars that were fought in, in the 20th century are into the millions, which is far more than any war or any conquest of any ruler prior. This last century, the 20th century, is because of the amount of lives lost in war is known as the bloodiest century in human history. The wars were far more frequent and far more intense than they ever were before. The atomic bombs that were dropped in Hiroshima and Nagasaki in World War II were like nothing Napoleon or Charlemagne or any Roman general could ever have imagined for devastation. The amount of people who were killed, right, increase in frequency and intensity. That is far more intense than anyone had ever experienced in the past, okay? Um, Another one that I I did a series, uh, an evangelistic series when I was graduating from Southern, and in that series, I remember this, this uh, statistic or this thing that this study that they had done, um, and it was on earthquakes, right? This was very interesting. So they obviously did not have a seismograph until the 19th century. In the 1800s, sometimes, sometime that was invented. So they're looking at earthquakes, and what they were doing, this group did a study on, trying to find, okay, How far back? Let's go back to the time of Christ. We don't have a seismograph, but we have good historical records. Let's see if we can find the uh, how many massive earthquakes happen from the time of Jesus to date. So they're just going through the established countries, nations who had good records, right? So they're going through that part of the world. They go back to the time of Jesus. Obviously, the Romans had very good records. And so they go and they look through, not just the Roman Empire, but they were looking through established cultures who had good record. So they're digging through the history books. For the first 300 years from the time of Christ, they were looking for an earthquake that did massive devastation. There was a wreckage of a city and loss of life. That's what they were looking for. So big earthquakes, not little shakes. Loss of life and the loss of a city. That's what they're looking for. So they go back to the time of Jesus. They go through the first 300 years from that point in time in the history books, and they could find examples of one earthquake that there was a loss of a city, loss of human life, loss of buildings. That's what they were looking for. They found one. They went forward another 300 years, from 300 to 600 A.D., perusing the books, digging, looking for examples of earthquakes that damaged, did damage to loss of, loss of a city, loss of human life. They found one in the next 300 years. One example. They keep going forward. 900, they, so they go 300 more years. They find one. As soon as I get to you know, about 1,000 A.D. to 12, 1,300, they could find like, Three or four, no, 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 the number goes up. 
I think when they get to about 13, 1400, they get into double digits. Over 300 years, okay? Over 300 year increments, they find like a 10 or a dozen by the time they get to the 15th century. They go up from the 15th century to the 18th century. You're at about a dozen, 15, somewhere in that ballpark. 1800 to 1900, the numbers are climbing. When you get to 1920, they have a seismograph. Obviously, we have good records by that point in time. The number skyrockets. It's like a graph. You know, it's like almost doing nothing, 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 little bits, hundreds of years, hundreds of years, hundreds of years. And you get to 1920, and the water breaks, and the earth begins just convulsing. And it's it's not stopping. I could not believe this as I was reading through it because I was born in 1986. In all my entire life, every year, every other year, there is some massive earthquake. We read about it all the time now. So I could not believe. I'm like, there are millions of people that have lived on this earth that didn't even have a clue what an earthquake was. They didn't have a clue that an earth, the earth would shake and buildings would fall down and people would die as a result. I'm like, that is unfathomable to me because in our lifetime, it's almost constant. Right now, we were just praying for Iceland because they have volcanoes and earthquakes going off right now in Dagny's home country. It's happening all over the world. The earth is convulsing under the weight of sin. And instead of, but at this point in time, the contractions are not leading to a baby. They're leading to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay? The wars and the rumors of wars, frequency and intensity. Our capacity to take human life now is at an exponential. The nuclear weapons we have today are exponentially more powerful than the atomic weapons that were dropped in World War II. Exponentially more powerful. The frequency and the intensity of our war today, the, uh, the ability to take human life is far greater than anything we have ever seen in human history. Famines, they've always existed, but because there's so many more people now, the famine is far more wide-reaching. Pestilences or diseases. We used to experience localized epidemics where just one people group was affected by it, but because of world travel, pandemics in which the world shuts down because of viruses. We are living the the frequency and the intensity. We had swine flu. We've had so many different things since 2000. If you just go back to 2000, think of all the various things that have hit the globe that have affected our lives in some way. Obviously, most recently, COVID-19 shutting down the planet because it's a pandemic, no longer an epidemic, no longer on a small scale, massive worldwide scale. The contractions are getting larger. Earthquakes are a very telltale sign because in my mind it registers just like the earth is contracting. The earth is convulsing. Just like the labor pains of a woman getting ready to give birth. Um, Let's continue on in our text. Let's read verse 9. I'm going to read 9 through 13. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. I'll stop right there. Um, 
We don't hear about Christian martyrdom today, but it has not ceased. Uh, going, we think of the 1260-year the persecution uh, during the Dark Ages, the reign of the Catholic Church, in which anyone, you know, Protestants, but even Protestants were killing each other then. It was a bad time for Christian history, but many millions of people died during that 1260-year period. But the martyrdom of Christians has not stopped. It just doesn't make the history books anymore. We are all very familiar with the Holocaust and World War II, right? We're very familiar. That is a well-documented thing. Six million Jews were murdered, and other smaller people groups were murdered during that time. But what we did not learn in school was how under communist Russia, 50 million Christians were slaughtered during that time. What we did not learn in school was during the, the uh, communist Ma- Mao Zedong uh, reign in China, 70 million Christians were murdered during that time. So this delivering up, this being hated by all nations, this being killed for your faith, it has not stopped. It hasn't ceased. Um, and it still continues today and in the Middle East and other parts of the globe where Christians, obviously in China, it's an underground church still. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. The martyrdom of Christians have not stopped. The martyrdom of God's people. We all know if you, when, you, when you have the, the word of God, the law of God, you seek to reflect the character of God, you will be uh, attacked for that. Let's continue on. Verse 10, he says, And then many will be offended. They will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because, verse 12, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Because iniquity abounds, because lawlessness abounds, because sin abounds, the love of many will grow cold, he says. This is another warning from Jesus. He warns us two times not to be deceived in the passage, but he's also warning us here. He says, because sin abounds, the love of many will grow cold. We are living in a world in which sin or iniquity abounds. Lawlessness abounds. War abounds. We're living in a time in which wrong is right, right is wrong, um, good is, is evil, and evil is spoken of as being good. We're living in a time unlike any other time in human history in which the amount of people are impacted by, this, um, by these ideas. If you sit and watch the news today, you watch what people are doing, you watch, um, you, you name it, you watch the things and there's this internal sense of right and, you're, and you want, you begin to hate people for what they're doing. You watch politicians, you know they're lying to you. You watch people in war, you watch looting and fighting and you watch all the iniquity and the sin that abounds in our world today. It can cause us to hate other people. That's why the love of many will grow cold. We have to be very careful. We obviously don't want to be deceived. We want to maintain a relationship with Jesus. We want to walk with him. We want to live according to his will, according to his word for our lives. So we don't want to be deceived in that way. But we also want to be very careful what we're putting into our mind, what we're ingesting in the news, and that we are not 
hating people that the love in our hearts does not grow cold because we are filling it with hatred for people for what they're doing. You have to be very careful with politics today that you don't begin hating other people for what they believe. And you don't begin hating politicians for how they talk or for what they say or their policies. Um, Iniquity is abounding. And the Bible tells us that if we're not careful, the love that we are supposed to be giving to the world... We're supposed to be sharing the love of God with people in the world. We'll be just like everybody else, and we'll be hating other people for what they're doing. The Bible tells us that God is love, not us. We don't have love. Only God is, and we can only go to Him as the source of love if we want to have any to give to anybody else. We don't have it. Okay, The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit of God in a person's life. We don't actually have it. So if we're not careful and we're cutting ourselves off from the source of those things that we want to share, we'll begin hating and being just like everybody else on this planet and we'll be on this polar opposite side fighting about silly things. Maybe things you might be passionate about. But in the end, does it really, are you, are, you, are you in this argument to prove somebody wrong? Why, why are you getting into that? We have to be very careful what we're going to jump into. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. We don't have it on our own accord. We can only go to Him as the source to be able to share with the people around us. So that's why we have to be careful that we're maintaining a relationship with Jesus every day, that we're responding to His Spirit in our life every day because we don't have the love that is going to carry us through. We don't have it. We have to depend on Jesus for it, just like we depend on Him for our own righteousness. We don't have righteousness. We have to go to Him and allow Him to live out His life in us. That's why I spent the first year talking about the gospel and maintaining a relationship with Jesus and having Him transform your life because that needs to come first in the, in the life of the Christian. He goes on. Actually, I'm not going to continue on in Matthew 24 today. But I am going to highlight something from 1 Corinthians 13, which outlines what love is. God is love, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 what love is. We know that God is love. We can turn there. We have time today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We know that God is love, and the Bible tells us what love is like. I'm actually going to begin in the beginning. Verse 1, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I am become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but I don't have love in my heart, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Listen to this, verse 4. Love suffers long, is kind. It does not envy, it does not parade itself, it is not puffed up, 
does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. One Another, I think it's the NASB that translates it this way. It says that love keeps no record of wrong, or it does not take into account wrongdoing, a wrong suffered. Are you keeping a record of wrong in your life? Does your life harmonize with this text in 1 Corinthians? Are you exhibiting the Spirit of Christ in your life? When we find ourselves out of harmony with God, who we know God to be, then that's our cue to begin praying, Lord, I can't fix this problem. I've got a real problem here. I've got a heart problem. I need you to transform who I am so that I am in harmony with you. Lord, help me to overcome. Lord, I feel hatred this way. Lord, I'm dealing, I'm struggling with lying over here. Lord, I'm struggling with whatever the problem is. We need to depend on him to do the work in us to transform us, okay? We can only recognize the problem and bring it to him. That's all that we can do. That's the gospel, coming to Jesus to transform us and to, we're depending on him and his righteousness for our salvation, this, for me, is the warning. We, we know Jesus tells us many times not to be deceived. That is important. We're going to talk about that. We're going to continue talking about this. We're going to continue talking about prophecy. But this one, where he's telling us, make sure that when you're watching the sin and the iniquity around you rampantly having its way, that you don't that you don't allow the hatred in your heart to eclipse the love that you're supposed to be sharing with the world. He's telling us to be careful. And when we see ourselves falling short, we go back to the source. We're always turning back to the source. We don't want to contribute to the problems. We don't want to contribute to the sin problem. We want to be peacemakers. We want to be people who exude peace in our lives. Because Jesus said he, he, he didn't come to give us anxiety. He didn't come to give us fear. He came to give us peace. He wants us to exude and give peace and his love with the world around us. He came to give us peace. And if we, it's only through having a relationship with God and that we're responding to His Spirit in our lives that we can give or extend that peace to the world around us. Because iniquity abounds, the love of many will grow cold. We do not want to lose this love. If you find your life out of harmony with God's plan or God, who God is, His Spirit, then pray to Him for transformation. Are you keeping a record of wrongs in your life? I encourage you to pray and ask God to give you the ability to let those go because we can't. I will hold on to those things if I'm not surrendering them to Jesus every day. If you find yourself impatient, reconnect to the source of patience and strength. Lots of things are happening and lots more are going to happen. That's why we have to have a relationship with Jesus to carry us through the time that we live in. 
we've been given the warning about this. Jesus is admonishing us to stay connected to the source. The Bible, Jesus, His Word, the Bible is giving us instruction, and we don't want to contribute to the fear and anxiety that exists in our world. We want to be able to point people to a source of peace, to a source of hope, to another world that is yet coming, to a relationship that will sustain you through the difficulty that we will see and that will continue to unfold. I don't tell you these things to scare you. I tell you these things because Jesus gave us ample warning. And that's why I spent so much time talking about a relationship with God, that we depend on Him for everything. We depend on Him for our righteousness. We depend on Him for our peace in our lives. We depend on Him for forgiveness. We depend on Him for forgiveness and salvation. We need to make sure we're depending on Him for every other aspect in our lives as well. Iniquity abounds. If you find love growing cold in your life, go back to the source. If you find yourself hating people, go back to the source. Okay, You don't need to beat yourself up. You don't need to beat yourself down mentally. Just recognize my life is out of harmony with God. It's out of harmony with His will. It's out of harmony with what the Bible says He is. So I need to reconnect to the source. I need to go back to Jesus. How many want to exude the peace and love of God in your life today? How many want to be a light to the people around you? Not a source of anxiety, not somebody who's contributing to the fear, but somebody who is saying, it's a, it's, a, it's a bad world out there. But through a saving relationship with Jesus, you can have hope in something beyond this world. You can have hope in a future home with him. And you can have peace as you're walking through the mess that we find ourselves in. If that's your desire today, I invite you to pray with me. Kind Father in heaven, Lord, you gave us ample warning about many things, about everything. You gave us a way out of everything. We're so thankful, Lord, that you didn't leave us as orphans, but you preserved your word for us through the centuries to be a light, to be a guide. And dear God, as we are looking to you in all things, we're depending on you in all things, we're praying that you continue to transform our lives. We're praying that your spirit continues to work in our hearts and our minds. And as we are, we're looking forward to, we're, we're spending our day-to-day time with you. We're being a Christian today and entrusting you to do the work in us that you promised that you would. The Bible tells us that it is God who works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We're depending on you, Father. And please, Lord, as we go out from here, help us to be a witness of your power and ability to transform a human life. Help us to be more like you. Help us to exude and be peacemakers and not contributing to the fear and anxiety and iniquity that we see all around us. Help us to be your witness and your example. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.